Hey, do you want to hear something funny that should make you feel awful? Hello, everyone. This is another episode of your favorite podcast, Catching Foxes. I I am Luke. I'm with me as always is my good pal, the Gormley. Hey, yo. What, what the hell is that? The Gormley. Um, we started the podcast about an hour ago, but then we had like a crisis. Almost stopped. Almost stopped the <laughs> podcast. But now we're back and better than ever. We're back, baby. So don't worry. We were only kind of close to stopping the whole thing. Oh, oh, all shut down. Gomer's in a depression. No more. At one point in time, Gomer went, are you breaking up with me? At another point in time, he had to go, I got to leave the room for a bit. I'll be right back. <laughs> and when I asked if he was going on a break with me, there was like a pregnant pause. There was a pregnant <laughs> pause, Luke. No, it was I could never dump, dump you. I mean, I could date a person that you used to date, but I could never dump you. Wouldn't that be funny if you started a podcast with Dave Van Vickle? <laughs> and I'm like, what the? What? What, Luke? No. I'm like, listen, we were just starting to watch. Um, what was that movie we were we were watching? Uh, so big- for those who don't know, yeah. I started to watch this. I started to watch. Uh, it's, it was Danny DeVito, and he plays a lawyer in the South from Jersey. And it's great because it's Danny DeVito as as a, as a, a lawyer the, in the South, but he's from Jersey. The Rainmaker? With- no, that's with Tom Cruise and uh, Dustin Hoffman. My Cousin Vinny. Danny DeVito is not a My Cousin Vinny. I meant Joe Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> Same person. <laughs> Same person. So I was, I'm watching that with uh, Gomer's ex. Then I kind of kissed her. Then in typical um, Luke 2002 fashion, got way too obsessed, way too quick, and she dumped me after the first date. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> I was like, all right, Franciscan. So, but I'm just kidding. We, we didn't almost break up. We just had a good chat about the state of the podcast, as we're wont to do, because we're too lazy to have our own <laughs> uh, organized meetings about it. Yeah. Yeah. So we do it instead of the show. And now I'm done and emotionally spent and want nothing to do with Luke. At one point in time, you did get up and go for a second. I was like, oh, he's upset. I am, I am upset. I am no, upset. But the white claw fine. needed feeding. We're fine. Everything's good. Are we, Luke? Luke. No, we are. Okay. Well, okay. I f- okay. I feel, I'm feeling much better about everything now. Okay. Well, let me tell you something, Luke. Can I tell you about a book I'm reading? I haven't. Okay. Yes. Let me go rephrase ahead. it. A book I'm about to start reading. It's a 1963 book by a band na- band No, na- thank you. Wilfred Sheed. Oh, I'm so excited that you got that. The so he's hack. holding up a, the hack. The so what hack. is the hack? Well, Betsy, one of our Patreon supporters. Uh, oh, thank you, Luke, for sending out that very metrosexual image. Um, Betsy, wait, 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 sending the, what metrosexual that image? That thing with the three guys just popped up on my thing. I didn't send that to you. Did you hit love or something? I don't know. It just went boop. <laughs> And then that people are going to ask up. what thing we are talking about, and we're not going to tell you because yeah. the church doesn't need another scandal. Yeah, no, I'll just edit it out. Um, so, friend of the show Betsy sends me a link on Twitter when I'm raging about narcissistic Catholic speakers. And can I say this, Luke? I need to say this. So, I went on a Twitter rant about narcissistic Catholic speakers, and a narcissistic Catholic speaker liked one of my angriest rants. I'm just going to leave it there, but <laughs> someone who has been repeatedly identified as an extraordinarily difficult person to work with literally went out of their way <laughs> to like one of my tweets against that person. So that being said, I, um, the, the, Betsy writes and says, hey, check this out. Here is this wonderful article that speaks to what you're saying, and it's by Amy Wellborn. She does the... Um, uh, prove it series of books and i go and i look at it and I, luke i feel like every page is written about me and my ministry like every freaking page and i said you had the uh same um, reaction to a cast of kings sorry <laughs> a crown for sorry that's, that's that's a podcast about game of thrones that's it's late go on yeah uh <laughs> the red wedding is essentially my ministry <laughs> no but this woman just lays it down and she connects this book the hack and updates it for our modern instagram people but it's about him writing these it's a it's a young man when he was in high school he makes waves with his catholic poetry and he starts writing for these periodicals that are essentially chicken soup for the teenage soul kind of stuff and now his his life and his faith is conformed to this one thing. And I this so moved me that I kept reposting it on Twitter. 
and Katie Prejean. I'm just glad you finally learned how to do a thread. Yeah, shut up. Just because of once. Uh, No, and well-deserved. That was awful. Um, But I posted it on Twitter, and Luke, I don't know if you can see this, but I literally... Like I have everything, I have everything like underlined and marked up, literally. In is the that mark. from what you from what you posted on Twitter or from the article? This is the article that I printed. Okay, and I read and I read this three times in in the course of the day, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is my life." They are sma- like this is directly my life. It was written in 1963. At one point, I just wrote in the margins, "Oh shit!" <laughs> it was just like, "Oh no." <laughs> And it, it, it's killer. So the whole story revolves around this guy who is writing these periodicals about his faith for Catholic magazines and stuff. But they're all, like, lame and sentimental. And, it, and his name is Bertram Flax. And, and he's married, part of the hack? Yeah. And he's married to a yeah. non-Catholic woman named Betty. And it's just essentially that writing for these pious twaddle for Catholic periodicals, it, the medium itself ruins his soul. Right, because Ooh. he's so conformed to writing shit pieces that his soul becomes incapable of that. And so she starts it off by saying, um, <clears throat> behind the pulpit or roaming the stage, clad in a chasuble or bouncing on fashionable sneakers, perhaps standing against a wall, vast in gentle light, surrounded by a gaggle of kids, gauzy and gleeful, curated vulnerability filtered through our social media feeds. Fingers poised above the keyboard, thumbs expertly tapping the screen. Something wise and insightful must be announced, written, posted. Posted right now. Listeners, seekers, readers, potentially sticky eyeballs waiting, expectant. And then at one point she talks about um, that we might even be able to make a living with this stuff. Your ministry, your apostolate, your gigs, your side hustle. Nothing wrong with that. What does Paul tell Timothy? A worker deserves his wages, right? Uh, when I, when I oh read gosh. this. She's been listening to us? I know. Literally, I'm like, Oh, my holy. gosh. Right. This woman is taking this book and slamming it repeatedly into my face. Um, Should we get her on the show and be like, why have you been listening to us? Why are well, you saying this? Apparently, she's also writing it about herself. Like, this is an indictment. Oh, okay, okay. Because she writes a bajillion blog posts. And so the thing is called The Hazards of Online Faith Writing by Amy Welburn. And it was written in the church something or other, um, published by Notre Dame Church Life Journal. Um, and she said, uh, the tech and the reach may be new, but the character of staking out a claim to the marketplace for God's sake has been around. And so Wilfred Cheechy introduced the book, and she says, what happens to your faith when you package and market it? What happens to you? And the whole time I'm hearing your voice as I'm reading this saying, it's not the new evangelization unless we make money off the new evangelization. And so uh, <laughs> here is this sick and key quote um, where it says, uh, he had struck the right note for the magazines when he was 16. And the magazines were not about to change as he got older. He was just getting out of college by then with a lot of very vague plans, none of which included the role of spiritual hack. Little did he know. And he says he's in Jersey, he has five kids, and he's eking out a writing, eking out a living writing for these Catholic periodicals. And one of the things that kind of shook me and brought me to talk about this with you right now is when me and you were commiserating over the shittiness of our podcast, you said, but the money! <laughs> and that's what he says in here. And then they followed it with, but he's doing so much good. Like, he's writing things that people like. He's doing so much good. It's his professional duty to do this stuff. And um, the after Amy Welborn kind of introduces the plot and hits some of the key points, here's the deal. She says she met two Catholic um, speakers or musicians or something that said if they had their dream, they would be writing about totally different stuff than what they're writing about. But they can't because of the money. They can't do it. Because of the money, let me see if I can pull the money quote. But I don't know. What are your what are, What are your thoughts so far? No, um, I accuse myself, good sir. You know, like, ah, <laughs> uh, gosh, this is it's funny because we both wanted to talk about this. We came at it from on, on, on different angles, independently of each other. I am. Um, we've become okay. I've become this thing of like I'm angry at this. Yeah. And I see this angry culture now kind yeah. of starting to just create waves within the church. And I, I'm going to be honest, man. I can't help but f- – and this is probably my pride. 
feel responsible for this or at the or at the very least a part of me knows that I contributed to it. And it came from a good place, I think. It came from a desire and a frustration with, with where the church was. And I remember as soon as it started to happen with our show, I remember going, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't I don't I want to be that guy. And I feel like I've constantly have been that guy in that part where he talks about like my faith became I feel like my faith has become me just being angry. Yeah. And I I'm done. Like I'm I'm quite literally done doing that. And I don't care if like that's why people like our show. I can't do that anymore. Now I'm sure there'll be things that I'll be angry about. So so don't um get me wrong. That's not gonna go away. But I mean in terms of like trying to find things to be mad about, I'm done. I don't want to talk about Taylor Marshall anymore. I don't want to talk about um except when he's in the mirror going da 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 with his huge buff pecs. Um I just think that's such a funny image. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, um I I'm just done. I I I'm done. I can't do and I and like that really speaks to me because I um so we it's like every couple of um, every couple like weeks one of our Catholic speaker buds, it's typically a uh, it's typically a like woman has a person attacking them online because of a thing. Kind of viciously. Yeah, like and they I just wouldn't like, attack me that way or Matt Fred yeah. even. Yeah, yeah. People don't go into rad trad, you know, closed groups on like online trying to get people to say that like Matt Fred's a heretic or different things like that. But it, you know, it happens to this one person a lot. She's a really good. I mean, I don't want to say her name because I just I feel bad. But I don't want to. I don't want to give these people any power. But and she's not. She's a. a sh- sh- should we just say who it is? Yeah, Katie. Yeah, so it's uh, Katie McGrady, who's a good friend of the of the podcast, someone that I just adore. And honestly, I sent her a text earlier saying, "I'm so sorry you have to endure this, and I'm so sorry that this isn't the first time that I have sent this text to you." Yeah, like I'm angry that she has to endure that stuff, and it, and there is like we're going to be we're going to be we're going to suffer. That's part of being. A Catholic, we have to just endure it, but it doesn't mean that we. It also doesn't mean that we don't strive for the just thing either, or to strive yeah. for justice. And I'm, and I feel like part of me has contributed to this culture now of just being angry about this person's a heretic. You know, people are like, I think it came up today. We were talking with like Matt Fratt about stuff on his thing with Father Mike Father Mike Schmidt about uh, about um, Balthazar and Bishop and, Barron. Um, Bishop Barron. Yeah. People are mad at Barron because of I just like. Like people are choosing to not um, to like not read and to not understand what he means yeah. by dare we all to hope because they're just oh they're just lazy and don't want to take the time to and really they do let it. and they let other people it's uh, third party sources tell them what is and isn't orthodox without doing theology I mean Father Mike threw out this line that was the key to the whole thing he says well von Balthasar is doing theology right he's taking divine revelation and pushing it in different ways. And St. Augustine had heresies, right? Like, Origen is one of the greatest of the church fathers. There's a reason why an ST is not in front of his name. Like, these are great men who did great things in theology, but not every single thing is accepted by the church as, like, the church fathers are not the infallible guides of what we believe. Irenaeus did not believe in eternal conscious torment in hell, right? Um, there was a origin believe in apocatastasis. What a crazy person. So there's a whole bunch of stuff. I did that on purpose. Um, I'm saying that for years. <laughs> Finally, someone's listening. But there's a whole bunch of stuff where it's like we don't even care that the process of doing theology means using the axiom or the, the dogmas of the church's axioms as guiding lights, but pushing what divine revelation says into new areas. And von Balthasar did that in a very very poignant way and von balthazar was a genius like to anyone who just oh oh von balthazar's an idiot you're an idiot von balthazar had number one he had perfect pitch number two he gave away all of his mozart (laughs) records in the 30s because he had every note memorized and could perfectly play it back in his own mind his his uh 
habilit oh, what do you call it? habilitation his postdoctoral thesis was called the twilight of the german soul where he literally read all of german literature for the last 500 years and asked one question why does german souls tend towards nihilism and like this guy is a super genius and because he's a super genius he might walk into errors that the church says, or you might walk into places the church says, no, that's not right. Did Jesus Christ go to eternal, go into hell when he descended unto the dead, right? That's his position, right? Because it comes from the old uh, Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. The Nicene Creed said he descends into the dead, right? But for him, hell and Holy Saturday is a huge deal. That is the basis of him saying, well, then if Christ suffered in silent solidarity with those in hell, Dare we hope that all in the end will be saved? Not that he's a universalist, but is it possible even to hope that? And when people don't know that it's a dogma of the church called the universal salvific will of the Father, I get frustrated. I get frustrated when they don't, and they just blast. But Luke, you're right, going back to it, you're right in that you and I have adopted personas. Mm -hmm. Luke's the angry, edgy one. And Gomer's the fat homeschooler who quotes <laughs> who knows big words. <laughs> who quotes Scott on? But like, let me let me origin blah 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 blah. <laughs> Do or- you love me, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me I'm beautiful. Uh, so let me let me read you this quote. One of the greatest pitfalls these days involves the construction and maintenance of a persona. This might be built on personality, Luke. This might be built on specialization, <laughs> chubby homeschooler. Some examples are <laughs> fun priest doing car karaoke, the quirky Catholic, the funky homeschooler, the charmingly frazzled mom, and this is my favorite, the tattooed Latin mass goer, persona, platform, what have you. What happens is that the platform becomes a pedestal and the persona becomes a prison. And I think you just said oh, it about yourself. That's how I've been feeling. That's it, right? Like there. Luke has to be the off-the-cuff angry guy who gets our Catching Foxes account banned on Twitter. We haven't been banned on Twitter <laughs> yet. <laughs> we haven't in. <laughs> right? Doesn't that? But doesn't that hurt? Like when I was reading this, so Katie sent me a text message, and she said, "I've been crying for thirty minutes, thinking my whole ministry is a joke." <sighs> and I said, "Katie, I'm 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 just sitting in my office." Like, I, I read it over my lunch break, and then I printed it out and read it three more times, and I'm like, this can't be me. I don't want this to be me. You know, <clears throat> the cute kids grow older and really, really do not want to be the center of your online hustle anymore. Apologetics goes out of fashion. Your marriage starts to suck a little, and you're not sure if you should feature it any longer. Right? That's what she's talking about. Like, well, I used to have my cute kids and all my blogs and my this and my that. And it's like, oh, gosh, they're not cute anymore. They're gangly and awkward. Well, they're gone. And here's the best part. He said uh, he was so tired of all that. This is the hack. He was so tired of all that. He didn't want to argue. If you could just give it up for a year, you might get excited again. But you weren't allowed to give it up for so much as a week. It got in your teeth and hair. Meanwhile... The whole thing was getting to be more and more like New Jersey. <laughs> That's how he describes. <laughs> this is just what it is. It's New Jersey. Take that, J.D. Flynn. Is, is he in Jersey? He's from there. Oh. That's oof. where all the Flynn's are from. Ugh. Um, I love Jersey, actually. I'd love to do a live show out in New Jersey. Um that's this is what's what I've been feeling this past week is it's just like like I'm tired of the persona, yeah, you know, and I and I think that's that's why I kind of had a point where I was. So just to be clear, when I was, I I kind of told I told uh told I told Gomer earlier, you know, I'd be okay if this all just stopped right now. I feel like that's sometimes, and uh, we're not going to. We're fine, baby case. I'm trying to talk to you through the computer screen. I know you stroked the camera. That was you look so sad. I did, <laughs> but. I, I, and I'm realizing what I can't do anymore is that. And so I, earlier I thought, you know, I, um, I, I don't know if I'm done with Twitter completely, but I can't. I just, uh, I can't take the persona of the podcast and be that on Twitter because I can barely take the persona on the podcast anymore, and I want to stop it. 
Yep. So I want to stop being angry at things and at people. I'm just not going to – because it's just – you're right. Like it's, it's just too um, – I have so many other things going on right now in terms of like a new career that – I love. I'd rather. I'm trying to watch less TV. I'm finally. I'm kind of starting to see a little bit behind. You know, like I see the man behind the curtain when it comes to movies. I'm a little bit yeah. checked out with that right now. There is no a middle section of movies any anymore. Yeah. Um, it's a whole other podcast topic, but uh, and the only way I can keep this going is if I ditch that persona. Yeah. And so I'm saying uh, I've come here to say that, like, Luke Carey is dead and Jesus Christ has killed him. Oh, classic line. Classic line. I said that to Luke's friends when he was making him feel bad for being moral. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Another quote. Another quote. It happens all the time. It is a constant temptation. In the late 1950s and early 60s, faith was diluted in the marketplace most often by sentimentality and idealistic Black and white caricatures of virtue. I like that view. In the present moment, which, given the pace of change, might last until next week, the market demands a kind of performative authenticity played out by personalities, inviting you to faith, not so much because it's objectively real and true, but because, well, I'm a part of it, and I'm pretty cool, so you'll probably want to join up, too. Has she been listening to our show? (laughs) (laughs) We are pretty cool and want people to be a part of it. You know, and and this, like, listen, okay, so I've been watching a lot of Rick and Morty, which is probably why I've been in a really bad headspace for the past, like, (laughs) month. And I was was not in a state of grace, was having a hard time trying to get to confession and watching a lot of, of Rick and, a lot of Rick and Morty and Mindhunter and not praying. Oh, good Anywho. Lord. That is a recipe yeah. for yeah. That is, yeah. Now everyone wants to know why I was so dark last week. Okay. Anywho. Good Lord. I'm not saying that I When Luke gets in the slump, he gets in the slump. He can't do anything half halfway yeah. to the uh, um, my poor, poor like, family members over the years are just so tired. Um <laughs> So I was watching this one um, Rick and Morty episode, and I'm not recommending that sh- that show, but I am. And so just go just go along with it. There's this part where Rick, the grandfather, becomes a pickle, and he has to take on a bunch of rat part bodies in order to be in order to get to his family's group therapy session. And he does it like it's in Die Hard. It's pretty awesome. And he finally like he, um, he gets there. He's and he's a pickle, and he's arguing. With the therapist about how like pointless and I think I think that he how he thinks that therapy is just like a hack and blah 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 and basically the therapist has this great rebuttal that I'll put in the show notes to him where um, she basically says you don't want to do this because it's not a fun adventure because it requires work mm. and real change is hard and it's boring and it's not fun so instead you'd rather go off on a fun adventure every week and not do the real the, the real work it takes to make change happen. And when you're hap- cre- when you're too deep into the persona thing in the Catholic world, it becomes very easy to make instead of like the persona being this thing that you kind of have to adopt in order to talk about the things you want to talk about. What happens is the inverse: is that the persona takes over your life. And I became I've become that angry person who's just mad at the church and who's depressed and who's upset and who's angry at people. And I'm and it. And I, I started to realize when I saw that Umbrick and Morty episode that I didn't want to do the work. It was taking that, like the, the, what the father was calling me to. I didn't want to do the work to do that yeah. because it was boring and it was dull and it's not fun and it's painful. It's going to be really good, but it's not going to be fun. And I can't do it anymore. I think for my own personal insanity, I can't do it anymore. I can't. This podcast is at its best when we're pouring our hearts out into it because we have no other choice to do so. And that's scary and it's hard. Yeah. But as long as we're called to do it, I know that's what I have to do with this. And I can't take on these personas of the angry guy, the whatever guy, um, because it's, it's killing me, to be honest with you. It's, just, it's destroying my life. And I'm not sleeping well. I'm not. I just 
it's I'm just angry all the time. Like I see things on. I told a guy who was trying to argue with me on Twitter to f off because I was just like, like I can't like it, it, it like because it, like because I'm a baby and I got my feelings hurt because you know he didn't agree with the thing that I was um, that I was trying to trying to uh, say and I was very insulted and I was just like f you man and he's like well of course you would you know I'm just and I'm like I don't want to get to that point. Yeah. I don't want to get to that point. I don't want to have to, but like, I also don't want to have to put on this perfect, um, we're the fun Catholic speaker guys who, who have a podcast. Who, 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 like, I just want to be us and put it into podcast form. And I, I can't do a persona. I, and it, it, I'm so, blah, 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 that's what I've been, I've been trying, I've been trying to say any type of a persona. Yeah. So, the so let me sorry, let me read you the ahead. next paragraph or one of the paragraphs right <clears throat> the format has changed pamphlets replaced by instagram posts and sentimental tales supplanted by first person accounts of self acceptance but the dynamic is the same the risk and the fact of the content being shaped by the format the message by the needs of the messenger and demands of the audience so evangelization in the age of Instagram becomes just what Instagram and the rest of social media is, an aspirational marketplace trading in curated imperfection and performative authenticity. And I wrote in the margins, indicted, and I don't even have an Instagram. <laughs> yes, you do, according to, uh, yeah, according to, Instagram. Our, according to our Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's your picture on all the stupid st- stuff I post. Uh oh! Now there's one part where his wife, he's like despairing, and his wife is like, "This is back in the book, the hack." Back in the book, in the hack, he's like despairing. He's pissed off, and Betty goes through Bert's mail and tells him he has an invitation to speak to the Catholic women of Paramus, and makes him shudder. I have nothing to say to the women of Paramus. They want you to talk about vibrant living. Isn't that one of your subjects? They'll come and pick you up. And I thought, holy shit, and I circled Vibrant Living. I have a stack of books, Luke. You can see I tilt my, tilt my monitor right here. These stack of books are what companies send me to review. Vibrant Living is the best description of them. And someone just sent me another, like, a, a preface to a book, and it's like, how to live a life fully in love with God. And I'm like, you mean Vibrant Living? And I'm like, I'm seeing this crap everywhere. A horrible thought in himself. He shut his eyes, and then there was a pile of half-witted mail in front of his wife. You could tell it was half-witted by the way they put on the stamps. I'm afraid what all of our patrons are going to think when I get my Catching Foxes sticker letters. Oh, And she said this. She said, perhaps all a few years ago bloggers, now Instagram writers, uh, and ministry hordes are not quite there in Bert's spot yet. Perhaps they are still feeling what they communicate, the dependable curated authenticity of microblogs, Facebook posts, and for the lucky ones, books, which these days follow a particular pattern. One, a description of some family or personal situation. Two, light bulb moment. Three, resolution centering around acceptance of the messiness of life and myself as I am. And you can see this in my bemused, filtered headshot, right? And I'm like looking at all this stuff. I said, so what held them back? Financial pressures, reader reaction. And I'm like, when the energy behind Catching Foxes, like, what was the origin of Catching Foxes? It was me and you having a conversation about what we thought mattered in the most honest way possible. And it is very easy along the way. Well, I don't feel like I'm lying. Sometimes I do. Once you put a microphone in front of someone's face, there's an element of a performance. I, you can't hide that. You can't pretend like that's not true. But at the same time, the persona, the platform, the audience leads you into saying, like, like I, I'm not going to lie. When someone on, on Patreon makes a negative comment, like, my day sucks for the rest of the day. And the first thing I think of is, how can I change to make them like me more? Not, not like, necessarily that stark, but along those lines. And that's what terrifies me. That's what terrifies me about having a Twitter following and a social media anything is like, well, I, like, like when I do my lay evangelist stuff, it's like people request certain talks, whether or not their people need it maybe, and that makes me nervous. 
then it's a, a, a commodity. It's a techne, as you are so fancy and fond of saying. Yeah. I, I think what terrifies me the most is it going away. Yeah. And, like, it, it being, like, the good stuff that goes along with that. The, I got uh, recognized as, at an event in Washington, D.C. that had nothing to do with the Catholic Church. Like, for the first time, someone at the company goes, are you, are you looking for catching foxes? And I was like, why, yes, I am. <laughs> you know? And um, the, the point being that it um, – why do I take on the persona? Why do I do these things? Because you want to stay um, relevant, right? And it comes from a good place. You want to throw good stuff out there. When you, like, evangelize, you want to meet people where, where they are when you're – um, so I'm trying to make this like I'm, I'm, I'm not about us. It's about like why do we do the things that we do to try to get the things that that we yeah. want? Yeah. And I do them because there's because it comes from a good place, but over time, if it's not being pruned, I guess, or cultivated, or it, you know, if 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 I'm not willing to accept the hard work, like the vulnerability that goes into into change that I'm going to cling to this stuff in the past. I'm going to be like the I'm going to be like the woman in the great uh, the great divorce who can't see her son, who's just going to cling to the grief she feels over her over her son's death. Yeah, yeah. and I'm going to cling to the fact that I'm the angry guy or I'm the edgy guy. I have to I have to like you know put my thoughts into every little thing I see on Twitter because I have to be that guy and. I have to fight the good fights when people um, want to push back, no matter how angry it makes me or, you know, how much, how much, like, what does it take pulling me? Oh, like the cost of that is too high. What it's pulling me away from and things like that. And so I, um, I need to, in a weird way for me, I think I need to be okay with being vulnerable I think my vulnerability was slowly kind of starting to become some type of like voyeuristic thing. Yeah. And that's the problem is voyeur or vulnerability for performance becomes either voyeurism. Look at all my messiness and sins. I'm going to rub your face in it. Or it becomes pretend vulnerability becomes performance. Like, oh, like she was talking about, like, oh, my life is so messy and out of control, right? But this is who I am, accept me. And it's really like playing a role, like the persona of vulnerability. Or vulnerability about particular things, but not about others. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't want to be vulnerable on the podcast when it took um, work. Or when it's scary, or it wasn't like a sexy thing. Yeah. You know, some of the best podcast episodes that we've had. And again, everyone, I cannot stress enough. I'm not trying to be like self-referential. I'm just trying to use this as a point of like what it takes to not be stuck in these things. We're using the podcast as an example. Um, The best episodes that we've done, some of the best, I felt the most uncomfortable about afterwards. When it comes to things that I've shared. No, there were certain ones we've done where, like, we've talked about a certain um, topic in a way where I've gone, that's it, that was great. That has never been done before in a Catholic podcast. This is perfect. Um, I'm thinking of, like, our first, like, porn episode. That was kind of one of those moments where I was like, yes, this right here. This is it. Um, But, you know, like, do you remember we talked about the one about how much of an ass I was when I dated in my 20s? Yeah. I thought it was going to be good, and I felt so gross after that. Yeah. To a point of where I thought, should we release this? Is this a good idea? Is this too? Is this too much? And one, um, I don't think it's good to just like put everything out there. I think having you edit that is good. Having a person kind of say, "Let's trim this. Let's take that out. Let's try to I'm make this a little bit more of a cohesive thing." So having a person to you know, when you're doing this stuff, when you like are like evangelizing and you want to share deep stuff, share your story. Um, with a person who can tell you that might be a little bit too much to help you like learn, you know, how to be prudent, basically. Yeah. But at the end of that, I felt uncomfortable because I had to be really vulnerable and, and, and admit things about myself that I did not like to people that I don't know. Yeah. But then, but the temptation then becomes leveraging your vulnerabilities for the sake of the show being good. 
You know what I mean? Like me and Katie, yeah. as we were reading this, we she said, and I I totally thought the exact same thing. She said, "Is it bad that I f- that my first thought was, oh my god, we need to have a podcast on this?" And I was like, "That's exactly it. It's like these moments that are so raw and painful within us, we immediately want to talk about and turn it into." I'm a spiritual role model. Look at me. And here's like the the phrase that I think was powerful is Father Chubb, which is an awesome name, said he called it playing. Are you happy? <laughs> he said he called it playing with sacred things. Playing for sacred, playing with sacred things. And then it says, oh, there were miles and miles of sacred things. And Bert knew he had certainly blasphemed every last one of them. And then later on it says, uh, the funny thing was, she, his wife, supposed that none of this would have been necessary if he had just been a plain, uncomplicated windbag like all the other inspirationists. He could have gone to his grave with his round tones, his relaxed manner, and the untroubled face of a child. But Bert wasn't an uncomplicated windbag. He wasn't even a natural hack. He was conned into it by the public request. He wanted to do first-rate work, but he had trouble with it and he did so much good the other way. The worst was the worst of it was you couldn't even blame the church. The church hadn't asked him to write anything, wouldn't care if he stopped. Every institution kept up a froth of chatter these days. It didn't matter who did the actual frothing. A million tons of stupid words had to be manufactured by somebody. And getting mad at those was like getting mad at New Jersey, as Bert was used to say. And I was like, when I read that, I was like, that is incredible. A million tons of stupid words. And this isn't about catching foxes. This is about all my talks and ministry and self-promotion and website. This is where I start on the inside being like, okay, Lord. Like, I, like there are many times where I wanted to just go to my father-in-law and be like, I want to be a salesman and do this other stuff on the side. Like, I don't want to work for the church when I do like, he, cause he told me after he heard me give um, my presentations in Steubenville, he said like, Oh my gosh, you're the best speaker I've ever heard. You're a natural born salesman. I'm not at all. I'm terrified of people, but um, he's like, you're a natural born salesman. You're this, you're that. And he was praising me to all these people. First time he ever heard me talk was last summer or two summers ago. And I thought, okay, maybe this is my out. Maybe I can finally leave church work and have a good job and just be a good Catholic and not be an employee of the church. Because there's this element where when your faith is tied to a paycheck, you feel like you have to keep churning. And when the feelings, quote unquote, go out, you're like, well, how do I get these back? How do I get these back? What, what do I do? This is my job, but it's also my faith. Yeah. Well, and it, I, sorry that I keep harping on this, but it prevents you then from also being able to get into the hard stuff. So then it just becomes your persona. Yeah. You know, because you're not going to find um, a healing from whatever the Lord's calling you to find healing from. And then I like I wonder if sometimes we harp too much on the where's your prayer life? Where's your prayer life? Where's your prayer life? Where's your prayer life? Like, it's important and it's good. But I wonder if we need to maybe talk a little bit more of like, what are you working on? Yeah. How's God moving in your life? What's the boring stuff that you're bringing to? What's the boring work that the Lord's doing in your life right right now? What's the hard stuff that the Lord is asking of of you? Sometimes we're called to be Martha and just make stuff, and sometimes and just, we're called to shut up and be silent. No, but I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying that we, that we, that we aren't called to that. No, no, no. Yeah, I know. Oh, sorry. This is this is my intrinsic frustration with what I do for a living. Because if it's almost like if I suck at the persona, people won't fall in love with Christ. This is the constant temptation of being a lay uh, church worker. Is like my whole life has to become a model for others. I can't just be like others can be. Not everyone's supposed to live the Christian life. I'm not denying that. What I'm saying is it's an outward-facing model in a way that it's not for other people. And then you add the stupidity of social media and, and podcasts and all this stuff. And it's like, like I shared this on Every Knee Shall Bow. I said, um, 
there are times when I get on an airplane and I say, I have to have a conversation with someone about Jesus just so I can have a story to share on the show. Like, that's horrible. Like, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. Like, I, no one needs that. That's not helping anyone, least of all me or the person next to me on the plane where I'm going to use them for a good story. Or, or I've, I was already having a conversation and then thought, oh, this will be good. Like, me and you joke all the time, like, save it for the podcast. But there has to be, this is the, the temptation of the channel versus the reservoir that Jim Beckman taught us all so long ago, and it's so hard to follow. The channel is, every good thing that comes to me, I immediately give it away. The reservoir is, I'm filled with good things, and then the abundance, the overflow, then goes out to others. And I would, it's, it's easier to be a channel because then you don't have to do the work. It's easier to be a channel. And this is why I think me and you need to get back to the soul of the apostolate. Like that wasn't originally, like, that, like people listen to us, Matt Fratt said the best. People listen to us because they want funny stuff. But like, like our spirituality in a lot of ways, like independent of each other, is driven by that book. And that book is meaningful to me. And I want, I do, I don't want our podcast just to be about hating on the institutional church because they're all a bunch of dudes who are banging each other the moment the <laughs> the church bells go off and the incense clears. Like, like that's what you feel. Like, there was a period where every week there was some other scandal, mostly related with priests from Chicago, and it was horrific. Cardinal, it was horrific. Uh, and, and the response of the bishops was like, you're like, what? What is, what is this? This is a joke. And you're looking at the USCCB, and they're like, we're going to do so much change, and Vigano's letter is crazy, but, but you know, he's known to be a truth teller, so we're going to follow through and find out more. And it's a year later, and it's like, well, here's this weird image of Christ with two people walking down a street. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that USCCB artwork. <laughs> <Yeah>. Such crap. <laughs> and so you're looking around, and you're like, okay, 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 okay. Um, what do we do? And then now Pope Francis, like in light of our conversation last week, Pope Francis is like hammering the German bishops because they think that they're going to create essentially a, a, a particular council where they're going to weigh in on all these universal teachings of the church. And Pope Francis is like, no, no, no. I want you to talk about evangelization. I want you to talk about accompaniment. And they're like, we're going to talk about whether gays can marry in the church and all this stuff. And the Pope's like, do not do this. And they're like, nah, whatever. We're German. When we've gone on our own and done our own thing, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and and the head cardinal's name marks. What could possibly go yeah, wrong? There's nothing throughout history going back to, let's say, oh, the 1500s, where <laughs> someone who got angry at the church and was German decided to go and do their own thing. And there is nothing bad that happened when a German decided to go and do his own thing and bring all the Germans together in the 19th century. And then when all the Germans were punished for a war that never should have happened, there's nothing bad that happened when all the Germans said, you know what? We're going to now go be, like, really, really, really German and do some crazy shit. <laughs> We're going full German. Hey, you know how Germans are really efficient at stuff? Yeah. What if we apply that to, oh, I don't know, everything evil. But like murder. Yeah, but, like, so what I mean is, like, looking around and looking at the state of the church, I want to scream. But my screaming, that's already being done by other people. What are we doing that's different? How are we, like, you did this whole thing about healing, and it changed a lot of my talks, that I now talk principally about healing when I talk with young adults. And it's been, it, it's, it's life-changing for people. And me and you, like, I don't want to be the people that just whine and complain. But right now, we are literally whining and complaining about ourselves. <laughs> oh, man. So instead of doing it about others, we're just going to do it about ourselves. Uh, so here's... <laughs> Here's what I want. I want to do the hard, boring work. I want to be done with the personas. And uh, I just want to get back to the um, heart of catching foxes. I'm coming back to the heart of catching foxes. Where it's all about dick jokes. It's all about. <laughs> You're not wrong. Just kidding. It's all about inside jokes that no one could remotely understand. All right, Luke, where do we go from here? Well, I'm two thirds of the way through my Truman book. 
<laughs> you know, you know what that means? What's that? That means I've read six hundred and fifty pages. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, read, no, we're... I've read three audiobooks. and then I bought I bought a book. Uh, this is my other ancient book. By ancient, it was nineteen seventy three. It's called Catholic Revivalism: The American Experience, eighteen thirty to nineteen hundred. And Sherry Waddell talks about it over and over again. Um, but it's essentially how the American, like we keep thinking of like, like the Irish being super Catholic and this whole thing is like, no, they weren't. Most Irish didn't even get baptized in the 16 and 17th. Oh, you referred to that last week and yeah. I zoned out while you're talking about it. Yeah. But I mean, think about that. Like they didn't even get baptized. And by the 1900s, we were thinking Ireland is like the Mecca of Catholicism in Europe. The last holdout against secularism and all this stuff. Isn't that just good marketing though? Well, no, I mean, it's the reality of the history of these religious orders that preached month-long missions and literally changed the American landscape dramatically. Dramatically, Luke. And I, I don't think, and Sherry Waddell has this line, she says, we don't do a good enough job telling our, our revival stories. And so people think like things like, um, you know, the mass apostasy of Europe was something that's like comes out of the blue. And she's like, it, it's not. Every generation, this is a great quote, is capable of forgetting God. Every generation, every generation must make the decision to remember God in their life. But every generation is also capable of remembering him, too. And that's why, you know, you're going to find these ultra-liberal parents with their ultra-conservative kids. Or, I mean, not just that conservatism equals finding God, but I don't know. Does it? (laughs) No. (laughs) Nope, not at all. (laughs) I refuse to believe that. Um, Ugh. I feel emotionally exhausted. Yeah. Are you breaking up with me? No. Baby, we're, we're just, things are better. Look at that. You have insurance. It's my anti-theft know. identification card. You're welcome, America. Luke, I don't, I honestly, I'm at a loss for words. I don't know what to do. About what? Our show. We're fine. You have literally robbed me of my joy of this show. I'm, are you in, serious? In one I'm, in one forty minute conversation, I before. was feeling so much better about it. Oh, I was. I've just been feeling worse and worse. Why? I feel. I felt so much good. At, so much better after our last conversation. This has been great. Wonderful. Why Give do that. you feel bad? Give that to me, Luke. Give it to me. Quit being a little bitch. Why do you feel bad? Because I'm a little bitch. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because I feel no, like but, I'm a hack. I feel like I'm a hack. I feel like I'm doing. All the wrong things. Not all the wrong things. It's just... Here, okay, let me tell you. So, once you try to go to be a standalone speaker, there are a couple routes you can take. And one of them is to be a consultant. And someone who has a consultancy came up to me and wanted me to be a part of it. And so I asked around, and someone said, don't join them. They're not doing anything. They're just collecting money for their consultant. And so I said, well, what do you mean? And I asked like four people and they said, yeah, I don't do anything, but we just like fundraise and stuff. I haven't done something for a long time. And that made me scared because I know like six or seven different people who are like, we're going to help you with the new evangelization, implement it for your parish. And I realized that's not what I want to do. That's not what I I thought it was. I thought what I want to do is help parishes implement the new evangelization. I realized that's not my gift. I'm, I'm horrible with that stuff. What I want to do is do staff retreats and parish missions. I want to do staff retreats and parish missions. Doing that retreat with you in St. Louis at our last um, Catching Foxes Live, and then we did the Archdiocesan retreat, it helped me, like, razor focus what I want to do. Like, I really, 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 really want to help staff people pray together. Um, I, I just had a, a person come up to me. Um, not in tears, but very, like, I, she said, I need your wisdom. There's only three employees. I'm the third employee. It's the priest, the secretary, and me. And the secretary is a horrible person. She said, not only is she horrible, like, the other two people warned me not to join the church because of how horrible this woman is. She's mean. She's nasty. Everyone has a story. Lord knows what hers is. But parishioners are like, wow, you should fire the, whoever answered the phone. They were awful. And she said she went to her priest multiple times because this person has thrown her under the bus. She goes to the priest, and the priest just says, it's not going to change. This is who she is. And she's like, no, you need to change it. And so I was sitting with this woman, and I was listening to her, and I was like, 
she said, the priest has given up. He's done. He's at past retirement age. He's not going to do anything. And I'm like, so this priest has chosen his emotional security over his employee and his parishioners. And I was like, this is, that's where I feel like I could help. I'm not going to coach these people to be excellent employees. I'm going to preach them the gospel and help them repent and pray together. Like, that's, what, that's honestly what I want to do. It's like, but Michael Gormley, he can, he can, he can be a rebel rouser. Now I'm just playing with a piece of paper. <laughs> What's that little man? What's stop, what stopping you from doing that? Well, I mean, I'm trying to do it, but no one wants to hire me. Just kidding. I'm so fucking busy. But <laughs> <laughs> so damn busy. But no, it's it's. I mean. <laughs> Because that's not a priority for parishes today. The priority for parishes today is to have a kick-ass sound system with a laser light show. The priority for parishes today is to have a, a praise band uh, to, to Im- imitate the evangelical megachurch or to go rad-trad or, you know, fine, whatever. Like, I'm all for that. But it's not like, it's not to be a praying a house of prayer. Like, why is it that Jesus says, all men will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another? And I can't think of a single church where loving one another is the cornerstone of what they're known for. Oh, that's the Bible church. That's the doctrine church. That's the beautiful liturgy church. That's the architecture church. That's the this church. How many people, can you think of a church where you say, wow, every, you know, almost all their parishioners like really love each other? You know, this is, okay, this is not me just being like a... Um, yeah, go for it. Corporate... Chill. Chill. But Glen Mary, man, like... Those parishes, they go where they people have nothing. They go where there is there quite literally is nothing. There is no priest. There is no church, and they start saying church. They start saying mass on back porches, people's living rooms, uh, car garages, uh, mechanic shops, and people just really care about each other because there's nothing. There's nothing. They, like they quite literally have nothing. And um, they have um, nothing to lose by being a part of it and everything to gain. And so they just, like, throw themselves into it. And I saw I was at one of our missions. There were 200 kids attending a Bible, a Bible camp. A lot of those kids were like migrant workers, and that's their one vacation of the whole, the whole summer. The one time these kids, 8-year-old kids don't have to work is when they're um, – at this Bible camp, and they're thrilled to be here. And, like, I haven't seen kids, like, hug priests in so long yeah. because it's just not – and these kids were just hugging the priest that was there. They all knew his name. He knew all of their names. And, I, like, say what you will. It's, like – uh, how do I put this? The uh, – <laughs> um, Glenn Mary's not known to cling to orthodoxy. (laughs) I'm not saying that they are not orthodox. I'm just saying they're not beating the orthodox drum. Let me just put it that way. (laughs) He's walking on eggshells (laughs) with his Because it's like they just, they just, they're just priests and they're just doing their job as priests and they pour their hearts into it. Like they pour their hearts into it. For, I mean, like, hours and hours and hours, and they will pray with whoever, and they'll go wherever, and they'll do whatever um, because they love the Lord, and they love God, and which is are the same thing, and they love their parishioners, and the parishioners love them, and then they love each other, you know? And, like, we're building churches right now, man. Like, we're about to open a church this um, weekend. The first permanent Catholic church in this county out in um, Tennessee is opening because of the Glen Mary mission. That's awesome. And people are going to dismiss them because a lot of the priests there are like boomer priests. They might think they're on the left of center, whatever. Because they kind of are. But like, they're they loved. I've I've learned so much about how to love the Lord, how to love others from them. And I don't know, man. Like, I'm not saying that I'm like gonna like be like orthodoxy. Um, orthodoxy doesn't uh, doesn't matter. But um, it's not more important than community. It's not more important than um, anything. 
it's 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 important, but it's not like I don't know. I don't know if um like they taught people they taught, they form their priests on how to like love their um, priests and really invest in people's lives. How do they do that? Like where are they going to seminary for that kind of training? Um, so there's, they go out to Munderline, I believe right now, but then they do a lot of um, formation in house and then they go to the seminary during the year, but there's, they spend, there's a, they're in um, formation for a while and they spent, they're at uh, the missions a lot. They work a lot with, um, our priests that they, um, are I, there I mean, a lot I, of young priests? Are there some not, young priests? Um, not as many as I would like. There's one, there's, there's, um, well, we have two priests from Africa who are pretty young, and then one priest who's about a year older than you, two years older than me. Good dude. Good dude. Um, hmm. uh, and then, I mean, there's some relatively um, younger priests. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, it's 50s. all relative. Yeah, yeah. Like, Father and they're going out. Are these 50-year-olds still going and doing the missions? Oh, heck yeah. They're doing it into their, like, you know, early seventies. They just love people, man. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And um, I just think I think if someone like obsessed with liturgy and all and all of the right ways, who was a priest, could spend one week at uh, at one of the Glen Mary missions, yeah, their priesthood would be changed forever. In the most beautiful way possible, they would see on what it's like. I mean, priests driving people to doctors' appointments, priests priests coming over to visit people who are like homeless, sick, priests praying with people who are scared of about all these different things. You know, like a, a little like a um, a bunch of our stuff now deals with, with like migrant workers because. That's a big issue. I mean, just in the South now, in these small towns, yeah. like everyone has left, but they're being replaced by Hispanic migrant workers. So there's a lot of things where people are like, I haven't seen my family back home. I haven't heard from, you know, whoever helping people get, you know, pay for like a funeral back home, different things like that. Just being like, like we've helped pay for funerals back in Mexico because people were like, I can't afford to go home. My granddaughter died or my, you know, or my grandmother died. What do we do? And it's like, well, prequels, I'll, I'll pay for it. We find the money, and we like what parish does that? Yeah. When was the last time a parish paid for a person's funeral? And it just because they because it's real. These people like really believe it, and it's real and it's real life. And it just um, best kept secret in the American Catholic Church right now are the Glen Mary Home Missioners. You should come. To, I should find a way to get you out to like one of our missions, just so um, you can see it. It would be awesome. It's really cool. It's re- and like cause like so much of the problems that we talk about. Um, if you saw how people how they loved each other, like when was the last time a priest or a person on a parish staff drove a parishioner to the doctor because they had an appointment and they couldn't drive themselves? You know, I'm, I'm sure we, we we can all I'm thinking of people who do that. But that's what like these priests yeah. and, these, and these brothers do. I, I always I'm talking about the priests because we tend to be more, like. American Catholicism so priest oriented now. Yeah. But we like and like all, all the brothers they do the same thing. It's a, it's incredible. They're they're a Catholic presence in a, where there is none in real concrete ways. And the American church could really benefit by paying attention to what they are they are doing. Now, let me throw this out at you. Let's say everyone started focusing on these people. Here's my issue like Someone said this great quote, and I love it. It said, in America, everyone thinks they have to be famous to have a big impact. Here in India, as Christians, we know that in order to have the biggest impact, we must be small and hidden and forgotten. Mm -hmm. And in a big way, it's almost like the reason why the Glen Mary Home Missioners are able to do what they're doing is because they're not at the front page. There's no performance or personas or platform required of them. Other than requesting donations, yeah. Yeah. And the people who do that sure are good at their jobs. (laughs) Glennerd.org slash donate. (laughs) I will. I will. Is there any in Texas? There was, but not anymore. Why is that? So, um, time and 
you know, so like they go with their, so they'll, they either um, start a parish or they create a on a, a mission or take over a parish where a diocese can't afford to have a priest go. Or so they okay. have like um, priests and brothers go and they are just a Catholic presence where there is none. So they've, they were in Dallas, but now the parish out in Dallas is like a huge, a suburban parish. They've been around for 80 years now. Right, right. So they're in Tennessee, Kentucky. Uh, they're only, I don't think we have any um, missions in Kentucky. But we have a, we have a parish that we say masses for on the weekend. Uh, Tennessee, Georgia, and North Carolina. Awesome. Yeah, and it, it is, it's that hidden thing. I, I think and that could be part of it is we got to become hidden. Yeah. I have a lot of hope for you. Because I think if you can go pray for the Lord to take you to the hidden places. Like your attic? Mm-hmm. Okay. It is so hot, man. When, whenever we have you guys over here, it is so freaking hot <laughs> up here. It's miserable. I've been watching handyman shows on how to insulate your basement. Ooh. I have <laughs> I have problems. I've been watching so much Mindhunter. It's not good, man. I, I put on the first episode, the guy took a shotgun to his head, head and then I said, off. you know and what? you see his head blow up. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I said to Shannon, let's not watch this anymore. And she goes, nope. <laughs> and then we turned it off. It's wonderful. I love it so much. And instead, I watched fail videos on YouTube. <laughs> no, it's dark. And I, I don't, I mean, it gets in your head because it's like a David Fincher thing. So it can be a little bit slow. It's methodical. It's all the yeah. things that some people don't want, but it's good, man. All right. So, everyone, this is Catching Foxes. I kind of think we're turning a really good leaf here. I think this is what we needed. And then Gomer's despairing. No, don't, no. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm feeling uh, great about it. <laughs> Poor Gormley. Poor Gormley. Poor Gormley. Poor Gormley.